Are you ready to go offside? Because it's Offside Hockey Talk with your host, James Roberts. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm very, very lucky to be joined today by a man who was mentioned on the big old 31 Thoughts podcast for mailing in some fun questions. And then, of course, if you look through the National Lacrosse League, he has won dual honors as the head coach and GM awards. It is none other than Paul Day, head coach and GM of the Philadelphia Wings. How's it going today, Paul? Good, James. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited to be on. Uh, I'm an original Thunderbird because I'm an original Nighthawk and my first coaching job in the NL was in 1994 as a 26-year-old coach in the expansion Rochester Nighthawks. So you've been around the league for a little while. For you, um, what has changed the most? What, is, what have you seen? What is the growth? Um, what have you seen that, like I said, changed? I guess, you know, the big thing was when I played in the league in Buffalo and then we started in Rochester, we were, uh, you know, it was, a, it was owned by two guys and they were promoters, uh, Chris Fritz and, and Russ Klein. Really smart women that, you know, did a lot of monster truck, a lot of Davis tennis, and, uh, you know, they just wanted to put people in stadiums, and they partnered with, uh, you know, arenas all over North America, and it was a small league to start, and it was it was great uh, to play in front of, you know, Buffalo, 18,000 people every night and make $100. I would have paid the $15 just to get in and play in front of those people, and then, you know, we started in Rochester, uh, just down the road from, from uh Buffalo down the I-90 and it became a, a, an instant uh, rivalry and but it was you know it was a smaller league now it's it, the ownership you know I spent a lot of years with Kurt in Rochester the ownership has really come a long way from you know two gentlemen to independent ownership to most of the teams are owned by you know big corporations like us in Philadelphia were owned by the Flyers but really we're owned by NBC Comcast so big ownership now they see uh, you know the league growing and uh in the future here, I think uh, it's going to be really bright. And uh, obviously, the you know, uh, to see the growth in Halifax was, we all look at it, even though we're on other teams, and we just we just think it's fantastic for the league and the sport. Well, definitely. Getting into a market and growing and it being as popular as it is only gets more eyeballs on the, uh, the league. I'm wondering for you, what's next? What's the next step for progression? Obviously, when I talked to John Catalano from the, the Thunderbirds here, you know, he said, you know, more expansion, more eyeballs. Um, I mentioned the fact that maybe getting it on a national TV deal, maybe with a Sportsnet or a TSN or even ESPN through the States, just to have regular broadcasts. But for you, what's the natural next step to make this league more more in the public eye? Yeah, I mean, obviously we've been on Sportsnet and, and uh, ESPN in the past, and it's been pretty successful. And the landscape right now is obviously unique as far as what's going to happen next um just in this covid world and when we get back to semi-normal um i i think you know the expansion they've been really smart with the expansion you know with philadelphia and san diego the same year um you know new york uh coming in uh with rochester and i think the expansion in the next few years will just be one team at a time that will give those teams a lot better chance for success i think that is a pretty good model. There's players out there, but I think, you know, uh, you know, one team a year for a few years once until we get to 16, I think will be a, will be a really good model for everybody. And I think that, like, you know, we saw in Toronto when the Rock came to town, the explosion of grassroots youth box across in Ontario, it grew 
and I think we're going to see that in Nova Scotia and on the East Coast now. Uh, we've seen it in Saskatchewan. We saw it in Alberta with Calgary and Edmonton. So I think that's kind of the next thing. This is, you know, it's great that we're all playing pro lacrosse and getting good crowds, but I think the key is that we need the, the, the game to grow at the grassroots level to you know, develop the kids. 20 years from now, my boy's 9, he plays a lot of lacrosse, but, you know, he plays in Ontario. There's lots of kids in Ontario playing in Canada that, you know, hey, kids from Nova Scotia, our second-round pick, Alex Pace, you know, one of the top rookies in the league last year comes from Nova Scotia, but he had to move to St. Captain's to play junior. So, I mean, I think that's that's what I see next to, to make our league bigger and grow because the growth at grassroots. Well, definitely. You need the sustainability there to keep feeding the teams and obviously bringing along talent. And, you know, I can speak to the fact here in Halifax – Going to the game, and like I said to you before we got on the call today, you know, going down to the floor and seeing the players, but just watching them interact with each and every kid, whether it be a boy or a gal, and just saying, hey, have you gotten into lacrosse? Have you checked it out? You know, passing their stick over, letting them twist it around and just, you know, flick the ball a little bit. Just those little things and actually engaging in the conversation. You can see the eyes go wide. And, you know, I can definitely see that translating into kids wanting to play and, and learn the game. So those little things right there help huge and I know here in Halifax it's been an absolute explosion and everybody cannot wait for them to get back and you know we're looking hopefully January for that to happen but I know this city is just absolutely on the edge of its seat waiting for that team to get back well and it's such an easy game to play it's not like you have to learn to skate uh, if you can run you're going to learn how to play and it doesn't matter you could be 13 14 you pick up the stick Tim Sudan who's in our Nighthawk Hall of Fame um you know, he started playing when he was 13 or 14 year old in Rochester. Was an All-American in NCAA, played for Team USA. Uh, Mark Steinhaus, who will be a, probably an NLL Hall of Famer, he started playing when he was 13, 14. So it doesn't really matter your age. You're an athlete, you can play. And I think that's the, the difference. And it's not an expensive sport to play either. Uh, most of the time, you you join up, they give you a stick, you need running shoes, if you got hockey shoulder pads, and you're kind of good to go. And, uh, I mean, it's such a great game. I started when I was three years old in Peterborough. And uh, you start young and, you know, it's such a good complimentary game for hockey. I think some of the best, as we talk, 31 Thoughts, some of the best uh, hockey players in the world were some of the best lacrosse players to ever play. And I think that it's such a great crossover. I was just listening to Spittin' Chicklets the other day, and I was listening to Robbie Shrimp, who's a great hockey player, talk about, the transition from lacrosse to hockey and how his hands were so good, and he gave a lot of credit to, to playing lacrosse in Syracuse. Yeah, no, I've had Robbie on, and we talked about the same thing. So, yeah, you know, he definitely talked about the two being hand-in-hand hand and, you know, a lot of um, parallels for both sports, you know, and a lot of things can be drawn here, especially in Nova Scotia. There's a lot of kids that play that play hockey and look for something to do in the summer, you know, and we put a lot of emphasis on, you know, doing off-ice training for hockey in the summer, but what better way to stay in shape than running for lacrosse and, you know, get the hands going too. Yeah, and I think that's when they say off-ice, I'm not going to play lacrosse because I want to focus on hockey training. Well, lacrosse is hockey training, and it's, you know, they get the, you know when I look at a draft in a, a lacrosse player, I always look from high school on if they were a multi-sport athlete. If it's between A and B, and one guy has only played lacrosse since he's like 13, and the other guy's played 
hockey, lacrosse, basketball, whatever, like three or four football, those sports, wrestling. I'll take the kid who's been a multi-sport athlete because of the, you know, it, it just you're a much better athlete if you've played so much. Like my son says, I don't want to play hockey in the winter. I just want to play lacrosse. No, you're not doing that. You're putting the stick down for a couple months and you're doing something else so you can be a, a better all-around athlete. Well, definitely. And it, it, like I said, we just said, it bleeds into one another too. And, you know, being able to do multiple things shows your versatility as well. So I guess for you, when you're looking at building a team, something I want to ask, obviously being the GM, you just spoke on it a little bit there when you're looking at guys. But for your, your mindset, what do you look for first? Obviously, you just said about the multifaceted athlete, but do you look at character? Do you look at just stats? What is something that uh, Paul Day looks at when he's looking at players for his team? Uh, character for sure. I mean, I just think um, when I interviewed with Paul Holmgren and Sean Tilger, they were in charge of the Flyers, you know, three years ago. That was part of the PowerPoint presentation is character. And, uh, you know, I just think about our second-round picks the last two years have been Trevor Baptiste and Alex Pace, and those second-round picks have played the most of any second-round pick in the NLL. And uh, the first thing with those two guys, obviously one's a Nova Scotia kid, is the character. Work hard. You know, I watched him in St. Catharines play five years of junior and Brock, and I'd never met him before, but I talked to all his coaches and just character off the floor. And uh, he fit right into the room. We've got a great room. We've built a pretty good culture in in, uh, in Philadelphia. But, I mean, for me, I learned it all, you know, from guys in Peterborough uh, and our rooms that were in Rochester that some of those guys are still in Halifax. It's, it's all about the culture you build and, for me, character and the internal t- leadership of your your team is the key. You can have great coaches, but if uh, the players don't lead by example and control the room and and really have a positive environment in there and, and work for each other, doesn't matter how good a coach you are. So we like to be everywhere I've been. Success, Peterborough, Rochester, even Team Canada. It's always been a player-led organization, and that's key to success you know in any sport or any business you know i think that's that's key is the you know the players or the the employees or the people that are working are the ones that lead lead to success well definitely well another thing i'd like to ask then obviously about building a team there's a lot of different ways to do it some people go out for free agency uh bring guys in some guys like to draft and develop and you're speaking about those second round players for you, is it a mix of things, or would you rather have a guy where you can kind of mold him from day one from the draft and just fit him into the organization to your style and into the character you're talking about, or is it a little bit of both? I think for sure a little bit of both. With a regular team like Halifax, you know, you've already got your base. I mean, build an expansion team. We decided uh, with the expansion draft. I mean, I'm more of a D first guy, but I also know that in the NL draft. This year, last year, there might have been two good offensive players in the draft. Two, you know, Gibson and Q. And then a few others sprinkled in. But the majority of the guys are kind of D transition guys that will develop. So with an expansion team, we know that we needed to focus on getting some guys who can put the ball in the net. And we looked at our group, Josh Sanders, sorry, Josh Courier, uh, Blaze Reardon, Matt Rambo. Some guys were new to the game. Um, then Kyle Matisse, our leader, we took Brett Hickey, who's been a, a great scorer in the league. You know, five or six guys, we thought, okay, we can grow with them, and we'll sprinkle in 
you know, some free agents here and there and some young guys. And then we'll be able to – it's easier to get a free agent as a defenseman and it's either easier to trade for goaltenders than, you know, drafting a 20-year-old goalie and putting them in the net. I mean, our first year we had two young goalies and it was a disaster. And it's, that's just the way it goes. So yeah. I think for us we built with offense first because we thought they're going to – that's the hardest thing to actually do. And, you know, last year our our defense went from last in the league to, you know, top three within three point three of first overall. So I think that that was our plan. But if I was to build a team like a regular team, I'm always looking at kind of goaltending and defense and then kind of build from there. But it's a unique experience doing it with an expansion team. you got to have patience and uh, – you have to kind of have a plan and you know we sat down we have a plan and you know we're in year three of the plan coming up and you know we'd like to add a little more speed and maybe a little more meat at the back end a little more speed up front offensively but you know it's a unique year as well as some of the kids will draft they'll be back at school so we won't see them for another year well you talk about goaltending obviously you went out and got zach higgins uh goaltender of the year finalist and i'm just wondering you know what went into that and obviously you're talking about goaltending being important um, having that backbone back there and then wanting to beef up your back end. Um, how important is that going forward to the squad? Yeah, I think, you know, goaltending for me, I'm lucky I spent, Steve Dietrich was our first goalie in Rochester. He's in the Hall of Fame, um, GM in Buffalo, good friend of mine. Uh, Pat O'Toole is our next goalie. He's in the NL Hall of Fame. Our next goalie after that is Matt Vince. And arguably, when his career is over, probably the best goaltender in the league or top three anyways. Um, so, you know, it's huge goaltending, so important. Um, you know, and then you have Warren Hill and Halifax who's starting out his career. And, you know, he's a little older now. He's like probably 26, 27, which is great. And that's perfect age to start to develop as a goaltender. It's almost like the old NHL defenseman. So, Zach, I got to watch in summer lacrosse. I'm in Toronto, I'm the Peter Lakers. So I got to watch Zach. And last June, we played them in Brooklyn and we beat them in overtime and he made about 65 saves but I've watched him do that a lot and uh, you know he was in Buffalo probably was going to get a chance until Matt Vince uh, signed as a free agent the year before so didn't get to see a lot of time but when we traded for him he was 28 years old and you know you just watch him in the summer play so much and you just see translate and he just needed an opportunity and uh you know, we sent Doug Bucket the other ways. Perfect to go to Buffalo to be Vino's backup. Vino was his coach when he was a little, you know, a young teenager, so he can kind of develop there. And and we thought Zach's just kind of going to be hitting his mark and getting an opportunity. We thought he had a fantastic year, our most consistent player by far. And uh, he's a student of the game, and he's the great thing was, you know, I spent a full season with Vino. I'm sure he picked up a lot uh, working with him, and then. You know, we added a couple of important parts, pieces back there. Um, Ian Lord, who was with us in Rochester for two championships and three man cups, and Peter, a big older teacher, uh, guy who, you know, a little bit of meat added back there. Nate Wade, we added from from Victoria, another bigger body. So we've added some nice pieces that are complementary to our our young guys. Our defense is the youngest in the NFL, twenty five years old at averages right now, even with. Ian Lower, who's 34, because we've got the Alex Paces and a few other kids are 22, 23. So they're going to be a year older. They had a really nice winter this year, but 
if we could add another, you know, another big body back there, it'd be nice. We'd like, you know, a little more physicality as Philadelphia. We play fast, and uh, one of our models is we like to play, um, we want to play hard, and we don't want to be a fast, soft team. We want to be a fast, hard team that, you know, you're, you're going to get hit when you play in Philadelphia, and I think that, that just matches the, uh, the blue-collar image of the city. Well, any Philadelphia team, you know, they're always the Bruins. And you look at the uh, the Flyers, obviously that's their mentality, and that's the uh, the kind of, I guess, makeup they have as well. It, it goes through football, it goes through now lacrosse. So obviously, you know when you go into Philly, you're playing a tough team. You're going to be playing a team that can score on you, but will grind you out as well. So I, I could see the yeah, way we our, you know, Yeah, we've built our offense. It's funny, our offense is bigger than our defense. You know, we've got, we've got some big bodies up there, and I think that's important. It's, you know... The offensive guys, there's six or seven guys that play offense in this league. D guys, usually ten, two lines. It's physical, but we like to grind teams down offensively by being really physical. Because, as you know, it's it's a physical game at both ends. But, if, you know, uh, Brett Hickey, Matt Rambo, Corey Vitarelli, Blaze, uh, Kevin Crowley, all those guys are, you know, 210 plus. And I think that's, and they can run. And it's important. Josh Curry's our only guy that's, you know, probably 185, 190 pounds, and he's, but he's, uh, you know, he's fast. But the rest of those guys are 210 plus, and they are physical. Uh, I mean, I love that. It's getting, you know, getting picked by a 210-pound guy getting run over. There's nothing wrong with that. No, there's absolutely nothing, and the fans get into it too, especially when that atmosphere starts going and the hitting starts happening. I know the uh, the Halifax Scotiabank Center, obviously, the roof popped off. You see it seeing bodies flying a little bit. So it adds to that element. It also feeds in for the guys, you know, a little bit of the uh, the adrenaline, the excitement in the crowd. So I love that factor. Now, i got to ask, obviously, everything with COVID going on, guys may not be able to play as much as they usually would this summer. Um, what goes into everything for Philadelphia in getting back onto the floor, um, you know, come January? Basically, we know COVID has things kind of handcuffed right now, and you guys have the advantage, really, where everything is kind of spaced out. You don't usually go till you know, things start ramping up in December, playing in January. Uh, so there is time there. But what makes uh, Paul Day comfortable to have his team back and playing and traveling? I guess, I mean, off the floor right now, we've got several guys that are starting this weekend. We've got a lot of American players. We've got six or seven American guys that are playing the MLO and the PLL, so they'll get some playing, which is great. Um, in Philadelphia, we're one of our biggest sponsors in, in Spira Health, so they they have hospitals, but they also have physio and gyms. So PJ is our our trainer with us. He's Mike Trout's personal trainer, and uh, so off the floor, this is as healthy as guys will be. Like in the summer, we'll play 36 games when we play in a man cup, and the heat, and they're exhausted, and you know. They don't get a chance ever to make any gains in the summertime because the the summer game is almost more intense than the winter because you're playing twice a week and then you're playing four to sevens at the end. So this is as healthy as our guys have been. Um, we've also our exit interviews with everybody this year is you know obviously the physical part of it and the fitness is a big part of it. And again, we've said to our players, okay, you and between you and PJ are captains and PJ. You come up with a plan every month of a competition against each other because you're you're going to have your own plans and you're going to have our team plan, but it's going to come from you guys. And then in the fall, uh, we've employed um, 
we're employing the Flyers uh, sports psychologist, my good friend who played in the NHL, he coaches the Phantoms, so they use the same guy, and we're going to use start some mental training uh, for our guys because it's something we've never, this offseason is unique, you have more time, so we're going to work on a, on some mental training, uh, you know, whether it's meditation, whether it's visualization, we're going to work on, guys are anxious about how they're performing. We're going to really work on that in the fall and it's going to be something new, new we bring to it. And, uh, you know, I think once we hit training camp in December, which, you know, I'm not sure where or when that's going to happen. We spent a lot of time in Canada for training camp, like most of the teams. And, uh, yeah, we'll be, we'll be well prepared, you know, just change our off season a little bit. We looked at it as two off seasons. So, uh, until July from COVID, we trained obviously till we found out where's going to be a season, and then starting July, all of July they'll do one training. August they'll do one. September and then October, November will be a plan from us to get ready for training camp. Well, it seems like all the ducks are kind of in a row for that, and I really do hope that everything goes well with the COVID situation. You know, the curve starts to flatten, especially in the states, and we can get back to some form of normal. I know it'll be a new normal. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing the the Wings do well this year. Obviously, Halifax, I want to see the growth of the league. I want to see everyone do well. Maybe just Halifax do a little bit better. Um, But it'll be good to see Philadelphia and Halifax maybe square off this year and have some fun with that. But, Paul, I want to thank you very much for taking the time with me today. I know you're you're up and you're sitting up at the cottage, I believe. So if you're uh, relaxing, that's a good thing. Well, I really appreciate it. It's great being on and uh, all the best. Hopefully Halifax wins their division next year. It's obviously... I spent 20 plus years with the organization and uh, some good friends there. And I coached Mike Percy probably 16 years old, and I think I traded for him at least three times in the NLL, maybe more. <laughs> well, <laughs> hopefully he can do justice and uh, maybe win that division again. And obviously they're dubbing it unfinished business out here in Halifax, so maybe we can uh, keep the crowds coming. But I hope the league keeps the growth going and everything goes well. And I hope to get to talk to you during next season and see where your team's at. Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Not a problem, Paul. Enjoy the day. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That is Paul Day, the head coach and general manager of the Philadelphia Wings of the National Lacrosse League. Great to have him on, talk to him about his team, how he built one out, talk a little bit about COVID. It was absolutely awesome. And, of course, he is the coach and GM of the year in the National Lacrosse League. Not too shabby adding the hardware to the cabinet. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Offside on the lacrosse side today. You have yourself a good one. 